You're now listening to The Sound of Sanity. The sound will continue for the duration of the program. Hello, welcome to Sound of Sanity. I am Nathan. I'm your humble and obedient host. We've got the pastor who's a master of sanity right there, Jacob Menzel. How are we doing, Jake? Pretty good. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. I'll tell you who else we have, Jake. You want to know? No. All right. I won't tell you. He who must not be named. His name rhymes with men. Lord Voldemort. <laughs> the name's ri- his name rhymes with Lord Voldemort. He's right here. I'm it's, it's Lord Voldemort. <laughs> I don't know how to talk like Lord. Voldemort. <sighs> like that, basically. Harry Potter. Yes, it was like this. He's got a rasp. <laughs> Be careful you don't get into old Dumbledore. <laughs> yes. It's, it's easy impressions to, to merge, but the boy who lived. He's, he's gonna, I'm trying to think. I don't know. Does Voldemort have any memorable lines? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good old Rafe Fiennes. I love Rafe Fiennes. He's great. He's, He's a good really actor. Good. I like. Uh, he was up on some image <laughs> when we were watching whatever the movie we just watched was. Yeah. And for half a second, I thought that he was Harrison Ford. I could see that. I know what you mean. Kind of a mid-age, like early 90s Harrison Ford. Yeah. Ish. Yeah, you could see Rafe Fiennes actually pulling off Harrison Ford. Yeah. Well, we know who they should give the whip and the fedora to <laughs> after Indiana Jones Ray 5. Fiennes, yeah. yeah. Be awesome. Over. Ray Fiennes. I'd, wa- I'd watch it. I'd watch yeah, he's it. too old. Yeah, Ray Fiennes is too old. Ray Fiennes is too old. Well, guys, it's October in 1984. And you know what that means? We're going to talk about some things that are happening in our culture in 1984. Now, what do I mean by that? I wonder. Well, Jake, what do I mean by that? Well, we have a channel in our Discord that we're just sort of setting up month over month and all of our patrons are able to just drop things in there they'd like to see us discuss. And then we decide to work through it in order. And so we have now a bank of things for our October 1984 episode. And so we're just going to work through it. Yep. Beginning. When we are done, we will archive it and set up a November 1984. And then all our patrons in Discord can drop things in there for us to discuss. And we discuss some of the things in the, in the channel itself. Now, beginning with food shortages. That's actually the first thing was dropped into channel. Yep. What do you guys think about food shortages, the coming? We've got this Putin price hike. I don't know if you guys are aware, <laughs> but <laughs> things are looking bad. I, I've seen this a lot on Twitter. I don't know. Warhorn Media's Twitter follows some people who are into sort of like if you don't know how to forage for food, if you don't have emergency survival kits, if you don't have fresh water ready to go, then you might be in big trouble in the yeah. next year or two. Yeah. Well, I, there's an article from Zero Hedge, a list of 33 things we know about the coming food shortages. Yeah. All right. Our friend Seth dropped this one in. I mean, it's interesting. Seems like he's pointing out some real problems that might affect our food supply and that we might need to eat rice and beans for a while. I will say that it's written by a guy named Michael Snyder, who has some books on Amazon. And I am not actually trying to discount this article by reading this summary of this dude's book on Amazon, which is called Seven Year Apocalypse. But 
I feel like it's part of the context is how I read an article like this. So I'm going to read this. So Seth, no insultment. It's an interesting article. Here's the summary of Seven Year Apocalypse by Michael Snyder. You guys ready for this? Yep. Okay. It all began with a very unusual series of dreams. Night after night, Michael Snyder kept having the same extremely vivid dream about the future, but at first he had no idea what those dreams meant. In a search for answers, Michael was led down some very deep rabbit holes, which resulted in a chain of discoveries which will absolutely shock Christians all over the world. In this book, Michael explains that we are right on the verge of the most apocalyptic time in all of human history. Jesus specifically warned that there has never been a time like it before, and there never will be a time like it again. Our planet is about to go through a dramatic succession of horrifying cataclysms that will be far more nightmarish than most people would dare to imagine. But the vast majority of the population has no idea that this is about to happen. Unfortunately, much of what has been tra- uh, traditionally been taught about the coming seven-year apocalypse is simply not accurate. And it goes on like that. And so, this is the guy who's writing this article. And so, I, I'm sorry, it's just hard for me to give it maybe the seriousness it deserves because this is guy. That is my problem with these kinds of things. I mean, it's so easy to get famous and make money saying either things are going to be great or things are going to be terrible. Yeah. What we've found as people who try and bring some nuance to the discussion, sometimes we may fail, but as that being our goal, it's actually if I can say this in a way that doesn't sound self-pitying, it's harder to get traction. It's harder to have a punchy headline on an article or a podcast title that makes people want to click when you're like, here are some thoughts, some nuanced thoughts. Here's, here's a way of approaching this than it is when you're like, everything is great or everything is terrible. And to be fair, again, Seth Benesra, just speaking to you, I don't I mean, it seems like there's plenty of evidence that things could get really bad. And this guy seems to know the news pretty well. So I'm not really trying to write him off entirely. Well, he's scouring the news with, info, you know, this is a thing called confirmation bias. That's and it's right. real. And it's not that things can't go very bad or, or aren't teetering on the edge of going very bad or won't go very bad. It's mm-hmm. just that he's got a bias. He's bringing it to the table and he's finding the things that confirm it. And that makes good for good shock journalism. And he may be right. He may be wrong. Mm-hmm. It's hard to say. There is a lot of reason to be concerned about the future. And anytime you see something like this, you know, you want to step back, you want to trust God, you want to trust that God will provide for his people as he always has. And when things get bad, there are ways to make it through. And if there aren't, and it's God's judgment, then that's something to submit to. But also you want to say, okay, well, you know, there's merit in working to future-proof ourselves and future-proof our lives. And certainly we've all felt over the past year nathan was making jokes about the putin price hike right but Mm -hmm. no it's been inflation has been intense and we've we've all felt Mm -hmm. it and it's all hit us you know if you have a family like mine a family of nine gas and groceries are through the roof it's almost i would say at this point almost double what we were paying a year ago in gas and groceries and Mm -hmm. it's a lot my energy has tripled my medical stuff has has i want to say doubled or tripled like insurance has gone through the roof for us yeah, so there's a lot of things where it's just like everything's getting tight, everything's getting harder, and it will trickle down and affect everything across the board. And some of that will affect the food supply, whether that's because of supply chain issues or because of any number of other factors, interventions or non-interventions. It does look like things are going to get worse before they get better. And so there's, in any case, we don't take our eye off the ball. We don't stop trusting God to take care of us and provide for us. But we, you know, if we weren't already living 
disciplined disciplined lives where we were trying to you know future proof our lives and our families and be sure that we were had everything we need to provide for and protect our families as we live by faith mm-hmm. and take the right kinds of risks then okay well don't freak out that's not going to help anybody or anything right oh no running around like chicken little you know is not going to help but saying hey you know this is something to take seriously yeah what can I do? What practical steps can I do in the event that something happens? That's there's never there's nothing unwise about doing that, right? So, by all means, take these types of, of threats seriously mm-hmm. and without losing your head, do what you can to future proof your life, your family, so that you can weather any storms that but, that come. But don't give your heart to doom and gloom prophets. Yeah, yeah. I think where the rubber meets the road for me is it's like okay. Yeah, I can be wise with my money. I can be wise with food. We can make sure we have some emergency preparedness stuff. Like that's all good. And it's all, it's good to future proof. On the other hand, there's a place where there's a time and a place where future proofing comes at the cost of the things that God has called me to do in the present. Like I can't Absolutely. just, I can't just go develop my farm that's off the grid that's self-sustaining so that when the apocalypse comes, I'll be ready. Even, even though maybe I'll wish I had done that when the apocalypse comes, if the apocalypse comes. But it, you it, won't, but you won't, because what you're doing is you're investing in people yeah. and in relationships, which is also what you need to have be invested in when the apocalypse comes. So that it will be the church that stands when the apocalypse, when the apocalypse comes. It'll be the church that binds together and takes care of its people and takes care of the poor. And that's what we're actually talking about being invested in. Too, right. Right. And for me so, personally, I'm putting a lot of chips there. Because I don't have the means or the wherewithal or the skills to be all that self-sustaining. But it's not that I don't want to take these things seriously, have a source of fresh water, that kind of thing. I'm not arguing any of that at all. But I need the community. I need the church. I need other people. And and that's where my investment's going. I hope not in a way that puts like a false burden on on the people that I would rely on, you know. Mm -hmm. But uh, okay. Anything else you guys want to say about this one? I don't think so. All right. Well, moving on, we have an article about Republicans, Roe v. Wade. We have an article about Republicans and Roe v. Wade. And what's this all about? It's just, you know, they came with a comment that maybe removing Roe v. Wade was just so that we could all have our plausible deniability taken away from us. Because if if conservative America is not going to act and step in and, and outlaw ab- abortion on the state level, and if Republicans are too afraid approaching midterms to take hard stands against abortion, then now there's no plausible deniability. There's no hiding behind those wicked other people out there back in 1973 are responsible for creating a safe haven for abortion. Now we all have in our own separate states. The state of Indiana is on the hook. The state of Kentucky is on the hook. The state of Oklahoma is on the hook. South Carolina is on the hook. We're all on the hook now and we all have to have to act and we can't be high-minded. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you have this article linking to a sort of, Repub- talking about a Republican coalition saying, well, we better keep quiet about abortion because we don't want to, you know, cause a ruckus here. Mm-hmm. We don't want to cost ourselves the midterms over Roe v. Wade. You know, we have to be strategic and so we have to be willing to let the babies continue to die. Right. Mm-hmm. Or whatever. That was what the article was proposing. And you know, the answer to that question is, you know, who knows the mind of the Lord, but we do have a responsibility where we're at to act to care for and protect the innocents. And so Right. 
Well, I would recommend that people listen to the season of The World We Made on Abortion that's coming out right now. You can subscribe to that podcast if you've not heard of it. It's called The World We Made. We've done three seasons now with Pastor Tim Bailey, and right now we're releasing episodes on abortion. I think we've got eight of them total, which revolve around a document that Evangel Presbytery, our presbytery, wrote on abortion, which you can also read. But the, the, the question of what is wise, what is practical, what is pragmatic in terms of approaching a great evil like abortion is a complicated one. And we are talking at length about over there about the sort of existential dilemma of it all and practical steps for. So I I think that might actually be the place to listen for a a longer, more complete version of the disc of, of a discussion on all this kinds of, on all this kind of thing. Because of course, yes, we should be faithful. But also, does that mean that the loudest person right now is the most faithful? No, not necessarily. So we talk about all that kind of stuff over there. And I think you can go listen to it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So we're just getting into those episodes. The week that you're hearing this, the episode on the pro-life movement is actually dropping. And that's a really interesting episode. Uh, I think it's called like the good and the bad of the pro-life movement was our catchy title there. And we talk about both and we talk about, and Pastor Tim talks about his experiences with both across a c- career that extends almost back to originally Rover, the original Roe versus Wade decision. And there's a lot of both. And anyway, listen to it. Next, we've got FBI action, FBI seizures. Do you guys have any doubt that the FBI is just evil? Uh, a political just a poli- weapon. No, I don't have any uh, no. doubt about that, that. That we do, in fact, live in a banana republic where the government wields the FBI against people like Private us. Private citizens like us. Yeah. No, I don't have any doubt about that. If that's scandalous to you, listener, because you've, you've not had reason to... to the, I, there's a whole lot of evidence out there that the, the FBI is just a political arm. And mm-hmm. Start by looking into the suppression of the Hunter Biden laptop story mm-hmm. and look at how long ago that actually broke. And any number of of things like that, and then, you know, whether it's Mike Lindell or whether it's the guys at Veritas Project, or President Trump, or President Trump, yeah, there's all kinds of evidence that the the FBI is just a political arm of the deep state. And if that makes us sound like conspiracy theorists, then I, sorry, I, I don't think, look I, it up. I don't think we're conspiracy theorists because I don't think that there's a if if your if your definition of conspiracy is there's this hidden thing that's out there. That's not what we're talking about. We're just talking about what do we see people do and what do they say? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, the, I mean, the, the, the whole Michigan governor kidnapping plot, like, it's just all kinds of stuff like that where it's very clear that the FBI takes certain political actions or sets certain things up, makes certain kinds of raids and seizures that are politically motivated or hides and suppresses and the department of justice is the same way hides and suppresses certain things that would be disadvantageous politically to certain parties. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think if you, I I've started to really go down this rabbit trail or down the rabbit hole. I have, you know, I do not have my cork board. I do not have my string. I'm not doing anything like that, but you you just read even handed objective histories of the FBI and or the CIA or the CIA or any of this stuff. And, And what's clear is that they are just bureaucratic, perpetual motion machines. They are these things with all these people, all these moving moving parts that were set in motion that never really had oversight, that never really had vision. And so they just did stuff. 
Well, and then they had all kinds of internal documents <laughs> and studies saying, well, in order to actually effectively achieve the ends they set out to achieve, they have to operate as shadow organizations without effective oversight independently of that sort of thing. Yeah, and so what happens is you don't have one person that's checking on everything. You don't have one person that has a vision for anything. And so it's not that everybody is a horrible psychopath, but it is that horrible psychopaths find their way there and get money. And you know, you can read that Manson book I talked about one time. Oh, he's just sexually debauched, drug-using, weirdo, mad scientist people who wanted to conduct experiments on people. And they were able to find a little niche of the FBI and of the CIA, or the C, in that case, the CIA, and get them to pay for it and get them to make it okay and get them to make legal problems go away. And it's not unlikely that some of the evil of the Manson family, certainly some of the evil of San Francisco and Haight-Ashbury and all that stuff in the 60s came out of that. And, and that's just true. That's not a conspiracy theory. And it's not that the director of the FBI was probably like, Yes, I will sign off on weird Frankenstein experiments controlling the minds of hippies. That sounds wonderful. We, we all have a conspiracy to do that, don't we, President Nixon? <laughs> that's, not, that's not what it was. It's just this big, ungainly machine full of people doing different things without, without oversight, sinful people, and these kinds of things happen. And, I mean, now it's just... It's just clear we have people suppressing information. We have, I don't know. I guess I don't have anything else to say about it, but read the history. We're not being conspiracy theorists here. You don't have to be a conspiracy theorist. It's all kinds of disclosed documentation that backs all of this up. And some of it is, you know, the CIA feels like it's safe to put this out there now. Yeah. And some of it's just like going on before our eyes. And right. There it's real. Well, a lot of it is like, you know, a do-gooding reporter or somebody gets a whiff of it and then exposes just enough of it that they have to release what they can. And so they release stuff that's like half redacted. And I don't know. It's just it's a fascinating world that we live in. I mean, stuff that felt like crazy conspiracy theories five years ago, 10 years ago. I mean, think about UFOs. Now we just live in a world where the government's like, yeah, there's UFOs. Here's tons of documentation. Here's the videos. Here's all the stuff. We can't explain it. We don't have answers. Right. That's just the thing. If you didn't know it, that's the world we live in now. 10 years ago, that's not the world that we thought we lived in. So I don't know. I hope I don't sound so much like Alex Jones, but I think the facts bear us out. All right. Next, in 1984, we have further commentary on the food shortage stuff. We shouldn't really go anywhere. Some discussion of public education and sentence diagramming. Yeah, well, and then nobody knows how to speak anymore. Or right. write. Or write. Or think. Or think. Everything's terrible. Who was the last eloquent president of the United States? Was it Kennedy? I think it might have been JFK. I mean, Reagan was pretty eloquent at times. Yeah, he had his folksy charm or whatever. So, so did Clinton. Yeah, I guess, I guess old Bill. But I don't know if that anyone who we've been old enough to kind of be aware of. I mean, we were aware of Clinton, but... I don't know that we've ever had the, ch- the opportunity to vote for someone eloquent. No, I guess people would say that Obama was eloquent. But mm-hmm. He's not. He's not. He's yeah. not. He just speaks in broad, lame generalities and platitudes. Like there's nothing, quote something that Obama said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no, you could quote five things Kennedy said and you weren't, you know, mm-hmm. it was 20, 30 years before you were born. Right. That's not what your country can do for you kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and Clinton, I mean, he was... 
he was charming. I guess most of the things I can think of from him are the scandals and the bad things, but. I did not have sex with that woman, yeah. Miss Lewinsky. That depends on what the definition of is, is <laughs> safe, legal, and la- rare. I think that might be a, not he didn't invent it, but that was so popularized during Clinton times. But yeah, that guy, that guy could talk. But yeah, man, there just hasn't been any eloquent politician for a long time. Donald Trump actually comes the closest in terms of being someone who can, with his word salad, communicate something in a, in a kind of brutalist <laughs> But it way. is word salad. It is just word salad and uh, like a, it's like a thug, a, a speech thug who just, if I keep talking, if I keep <laughs> attacking you with my words, repeating things. It's, yeah, he's like a word, word mobster. Yeah. And he's doing what the gangsters, the way they kill Sonny, where they, they, they blow him up and then they come up to the body and they riddle it with bullets yeah. and they shoot him some more. That's, that's Donald Trump's <laughs> rhetorical strategy. And, and then they kick him. And, and then they close. kick him a couple of times to right. make sure he's dead, which isn't that great. Not a good rhetorical strategy. I mean, it worked. <laughs> worked once. Sometimes it was funny. Sometimes it was funny. Sometimes it got you Covfefe. Sometimes it got you Covfefe, which is, which is still amazing, amazing that that happens. Oh, man. I I get a kick out of the the Biden verbal gaffes that people didn't use <laughs> on, on reels and TikTok mm-hmm. videos and things like that. It's pretty the one where he's like, if you really care about something, if you're really committed, and then he just sort of peters off into nonsense and then ends with, well, anyway, <laughs> yeah. And it's like people use it for their like workout video, you know, videos like the motivate. It's pretty funny. I get the, I get a kick out of the Kamala Harris speeches where oh, it's just yeah. like, I can't think of an example, but it's so bad. We need to justify the justification of all the people who are justified. I mean, that's not a real one, but it's like, because justification, justification is really important. And so I think that it's really important that people are justified. Because justification is important. That's what it means to be justified and why it's important. And it is important to all of us how important our justifications are. It's amazing. It's amazing. And that's like, the, uh, yeah, I that's, not, that's barely even these a, videos. I don't, I don't think that's an exaggeration no, kind of sentence no. that she would actually say. Do you think that she's actually that dumb or is she just, is this like part of a conspiracy? I think it is a conspiracy. I think it's learned behavior. I right. think it's a way of lying. A way of prevaricating, a way of mm-hmm. uh, she rose to the, top the truth, yeah, through well, all kinds of means, but that was one of them. She did what through all kinds of means? Rose she to rose the to the top. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, mean, yeah, 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 for sure. I mean, she's well known to have provided sexual favors to get to the top. Everybody knows that about Kamala Harris. If you don't know that, I'm that sorry to that. tell you that, but but there's that. But there's also just like you know, learning how to just have a forked tongue in public. Mm-hmm. To be Teflon, to never to to speak without ever saying anything, right, is just the essence of political speech. Yeah, yeah, and it's a skill. I mean, it is a it is a, it is an actual skill. She manages to not threatening threaten any of her constituents. Like she's she manages to actually play a game precisely because she gets up. She sounds like she's saying something, and she's saying nothing, absolutely nothing, mm-hmm. absolutely nothing. And and President Biden's by any real standard of rhetoric. And for President Trump, for that matter, by any real standard of rhetoric, exactly the same, actually, just not as over the top and silly. But the ability to get up, say a bunch of vague generalities <laughs> without actually saying anything. Well, what you do is you say enough vague generalities that people hear what they want to hear, right? And then you've got your media arm that spins it, and they've got their media arm that spins it the other way. 
And there's always plausible deniability for your own in crowd, right? So I think that's just the game. That is the game. Yeah. So I don't think it's dumb. I mean, I think it's, I think Mm -hmm. at a certain point when you talk about that way, talking and thinking and writing and thinking are so connected that if you cannot communicate clearly, you will not think clear thoughts. I think that's true. So at a certain point, when you've learned to be that vague, your IQ is going to go down. I think like the inability to articulate a thought is the inability at the end of the day to think the thought. Yeah, but an animal cunning can still yes <laughs> still act through you. That's all you're left with. That's all our society is left with is pure animal cutting. Yeah, without the truth. I mean, Kamala Harris is frightening to me. I don't under, right. I don't understand how she got. I mean, maybe it was just sexual favors, but it's like what a diabolical, crazy, insane, unlikable, horrible person. Horrible person. Mm-hmm. Like, how does this woman become vice president of the United States? Why, why did the Democrats want to own that? I mean, I can understand AOC. She's young. She's pretty. She's enthusiastic. I can understand Bernie. He's old. He's cranky. He's charming. I can understand almost any of them. I can understand uh, Joe AOC's Biden. An, too much of an ideologue. She might actually try to do something. Right. She might burn something down. Yeah. You know. She mm-hmm. might throw you under. She might throw the party. <laughs> She's just not quite tame yet. Right. Kamala Harris is just the perfect manifestation of the Democratic Party psycho, psych, psychopathy. Psychopathy. Psycho- there you yeah. go. Psychopathy. But, well, yeah, and she's and she's worked hard to become that way. Yes. Right. So, I mean, she's worn so many masks. There's no mask she wasn't willing to wear. Mm-hmm. You created me. <laughs> <laughs> For one purpose. <laughs> I mean, she is just the closest thing to a Batman villain that we have. It's, it's, it's really something. It's really something. Okay. Okay. Facebook spied on private messages of, Mer- of, American, of uh, Americans who questioned the 2020 election. And this is just like, you know, old news. If, you, if you're shocked that that happened then I don't know what world you thought you were living in, but now it's safe, right? So you dump these stories, you know, two years after the fact, and you can then say that there's some kind of transparency and accountability. Right. And then Mark Zuckerberg can appear on the Joe Rogan show and just say, well, you know, I trust the FBI and they're they're acting in good faith. Yeah. And I did what I was told. And yeah, what do you, yeah, of course we spied on people. Yeah, of course we, you know, we did the things that we thought we had to do at the time. Yeah, and that that clip is amazing. Right. What he cops to. Or what is he, he gets sort of like doofusly cornered into copping to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Biden asked Congress to end social media immunity <laughs> at White House Summit. Yep. Yeah, they want to control speech. Yep. Shocker. Okay, here's something a little different. The racist backlash to the Little Mermaid and Lord of the Rings. I don't even believe that it's real. I don't believe anybody cares. I just think it's the only way to draw attention to subpar IP. I mean, I think it's real, but well, the still the because the the conservative the conspiracy theory that a lot of conservatives have, which probably isn't a conspiracy theory, is that they have a crappy product. They they don't want people to be able to write good faith bad reviews of it. And so they preemptively say, everyone who doesn't like this thing is a racist. Everyone who doesn't like this thing is a sexist. And then they shut off. Amazon shuts off the reviews. So people literally can't. Uh, we be don't want to be review bombed. 
Yeah. Meanwhile, nobody ever nobody actually likes their Lord of the Rings show just because it's not a very it's well bad. made show. It's a bad show. And because it's And then you feel like you can't go or say anything about it because you you know you're gonna get canceled by the mob or whatever for opposing something that's just objectively bad. Yeah. Well, what babies? <clears throat> what babies? And the thing of the, the thing the thing about that that sticks out to me is just the people don't want good faith criticism. I mean, they really, they, they, they want to arm themselves against anyone criticizing them. And I mean, we could talk about the democratic party being this way, but just Hollywood being this way. It's like, no guys, that's part of the fun. I mean, as somebody who came of age in cinema, reading criticism, enjoying <laughs> criticism, seeing criticism as an art form as someone who tries in my humble way to practice criticism with you guys. It's like, that's the fun. That's the discourse. That's the, the the point of a movie isn't to see the movie. The point of a movie is to talk about a movie. The point of a movie is to have an opinion about a movie. Like that's that's the whole thing. And when you shut that down, you're not making space for people to enjoy your product. You're actually removing the apparatus of people being able to enjoy your product. Like, well, yeah. I mean, you you let me watch Lord of the Rings and hate it. That's a watch. That's a watch. And and the fact is. Negative criticism does so much to strengthen the case for certain types of art, right? Like, what's interesting that is so bland that everybody sort of pats it on the back, or hey, are you actually saying something if somebody's not offended, or if somebody are you making art if somebody doesn't have a strong reaction to it? Right. And, and so there's there's value in legitimate criticism, not just for you know, what you can learn as an artist, as a filmmaker, whatever, through your critics, but also just in validating the quality of, that you did something worth criticizing. Right. That you did something worth engaging with or interacting with. Yeah, I mean, if you're really trying to do something, I mean, Fight Club is the example that popped into my mind for whatever reason. The makers of Fight Club, I remember I actually owned the DVD back in my bad old days, and you opened up the DVD, and it had some good reviews. And then on the other, it had like these negative scathing reviews. They printed them, which was part of the movie's kind of bad boy aesthetic, Mm -hmm. but the, they, the makers of the movie were exactly right. in understanding that the whole point of this thing is to be so big and so bold that some people are going to be offended out of their minds. It hasn't done its job. Like if we got a hundred percent tomato meter, that means we have utterly failed to make the piece of provocation that we tried to make. Right. And that's the fun of it and the value of it insofar as there is some. We've just totally lost that now. It's all just like, mm, Top Gun was fun. Except for our friend Walter Chaw. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he hasn't lost it. He's a crank. Do you guys care that the Little Mermaid is black? No. Does that make a difference? To, I mean, I know we don't uh-uh. care because we're just done and we don't want to see it anyway, but I mean, yeah, I Lin-Manuel Miranda being part of it makes me want to see it. And I'm not offended that we have a Latino working with, you know, it just doesn't, I, yeah. The real thing is I don't care about the little mermaid and I don't care about the next thing that Disney is doing at this point. Little mermaid is a great soundtrack in a search of a good story in the original form. Yeah. And uh, maybe they'll give it a good story. And if they do it with a black little mermaid, that's fine with me. It does offend me that Lord of the Rings is made around a woman warrior, Karen, elf lady a because it's stupid and godless b because it just seems very unentertaining and she from the things i've seen which i have watched a little bit of that show is a very unlikable unentertaining character and c because it doesn't represent tolkien's world yes that too (laughs) actually i give that a i put that a c 
I, I do find it distracting in fairy, these fairy tale movies when there's a bunch of like mixed race extras. I will cop to it being weird in like a, the modern Disney Cinderella, well, it, Cinderella it, it, when it, there's like a bunch of black people in the background. It's it's it feels like political commentary, not like storytelling. Yeah, it, it yanks you out, which is bad. Like because you're just like, why is I thought we were in France. Like this is a story about people in France, or this is a, or make it a story of people in Africa. I mean, I'd rather it be set somewhere discernible that's not my race than for there to be distracting political commentary. Like, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, Ariel is black. How about that? They can make it like a stage play if they want to, and that's not a problem. Make it like a stage play? I don't get it. Well, (laughs) if you're going to have a a stage production, right, of something that's local, a local stage production, you're going to use best talent. Mm -hmm. You're not going to have the resources to reproduce a sub-Saharan, sub-Saharan African, you know, cast ensemble or a, a medieval French ensemble. Right. Right. So, you know, your lead or whatever in sub-Saharan African might be white or your lead in medieval France might be black and that's just going to be best available talent. That, mm-hmm. That's fine if it feels like a, a stage play, but if you're doing mm-hmm. a high production, there's no reason you can't simply you know, make a period piece that actually reflects the period. Right. And people say, well, it's all a fairy tale. Yeah, but Beauty and the Beast is a French fairy tale. It's supposed to have kind of a French feeling. So you want it to vaguely, in a very Anglo-American way, feel French. And it takes you out of the movie when it doesn't. I mean, her name's Belle, for crying out loud. It's no secret that her name means beauty. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. The other thing that really bugs me about all this sort of, what do they call it, representation kind of stuff is it just denies the basic empathy that storytelling is supposed to bring. Like in other words, what I'm trying to say is a little girl, one of the reasons a little girl doesn't need Galadriel to be the hero (laughs) is because that little girl can actually watch Lord of the Rings and let Aragorn be her avatar. She can imagine like, Oh, I'm putting myself in the shoes of a warrior right now. That's what stories do. Stories let us be other people. They let us empathize with other people. You know, I watch movies about women and I'm rooting for the woman and I'm taking up her cause and I'm in her shoes for the Mm -hmm. duration of the film. For the duration of me reading Pride and Prejudice, I'm not Mr. Darcy. I'm Elizabeth Bennet. And that's the joy of Pride and Prejudice is that I'm not actually a 19-year-old girl, but insofar as I live in a world full of people that I need to empathize with and I need to love, it's it's nice to read a novel where I can enter in. And the, the novelists that we really love, like Tolstoy, are putting us into the minds and in the hearts of all kinds of people, from the footman to the horse to the nobleman. And that's what storytelling does. So to say, I need someone just like me up on screen or I can't enter in, it's just such a fundamental misunderstanding of what a story is supposed to do. So... People are dumb. What's next? CNN's Don Lemon tells royal commentator the royal family should pay reparations immediately regrets it. Oh, yes. That was was a a fun clip. That was a fun clip. I don't think I watched that one. Oh, man. You should watch it right now. She's really fun. She does a great job. Yep. I think you should watch it on mic. It's that good. It's the best clip to happen. I I don't know that it is the best clip because the the best clip is yet to come. Okay. This clip's pretty good. <laughs> right, here it is. Well, this is coming when, you know, there's all of this wealth and you hear about it comes as England is facing rising costs of living, a living crisis, austerity budget cuts, and so on. And then you have those who are asking uh, for reparations for 
colonialism, and they're wondering, you know, $100 billion, $24 billion here and there, $500 million there. Some people want to be paid back, and, uh, and members of the public are wondering, why are we suffering when you are, you know, you have all of this vast wealth? Those are legitimate concerns. Well, I think you're right about reparations in terms of if people want it, though, what they need to do is you always need to go back to the beginning of a supply chain. Where was the beginning of the supply chain? That was in Africa. And when across the entire world, when slavery was taking place, which was the first nation in the world that abolished slavery? The first nation in the world to abolish it. It was started by William Wilberforce, was the British. In, in Great Britain, they abolished slavery. 2,000 naval men died on the high seas trying to stop slavery. Why? Because the African kings were rounding up their own people. They had them on cages waiting in the beaches. No one was running into Africa to get them. And I think you're totally right. If reparations need to be paid, we need to go right back to the beginning of that supply chain and say, who was rounding up their own people and having them handcuffed in cages? Absolutely, <laughs> that's where they should start. And maybe, I don't know, the descendants of those families where they died at the, in the high seas trying to stop the slavery, that those families should receive something too, I think, at the same time. Whoa. <laughs> it's an interesting discussion. It's an interesting Thank discussion. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. We'll continue to, to discuss. <laughs> so remember the impact of the supply, the supply chain crisis on the economy? Uh, speaking of supply chains. <laughs> He's stumbling over his words. She gets that little smile as soon as he asks. She's like, oh, yeah. I'm ready for I, this I one. <laughs> you just set me up. <laughs> I was hoping. <laughs> I was hoping. I thought you'd I never ask, Don Lemon. <laughs> you fatuous. Wow. Yeah. That is a beautiful... I mean, okay. I'm, I'm not big on like, Shapiro owns libs a video or fat feminist fails, you know. Uh, I mostly don't like those videos, but, you know, any kind of schadenfreude catharsis, you know, Karen owned by... I, but that video is a, a work of art, mm. a thing of beauty. Yeah, yeah. And the very next, by the way, the very next one is... My prime minister, all our prime ministers. Mm. Yes. Yep. Um, that lady. But we can't, I mean, she's amazing. I don't know that we can actually play the clip because it's in Italian. <laughs> mm-hmm. but, yeah. Um, just go find the Italian prime minister's, what was it? It's two minutes and 14 seconds. Shouldn't have a hard time finding it. It was. It, yeah. Although I did hear that Google scrubbed it or something like that. YouTube removed YouTube it. YouTube removed it. Yeah. But man. Jen's with the Chesterton quote. Here, I'll just, can I, can yeah. I, I've got it sort of autoplaying in front of me. So I'm just going to, I'm going to read the translation that's given here. Okay. At the point of me reading this now, 21.4 million views on Twitter. Yep. Okay. So I'm going to mute it. And then here's what she says. And I'm not going to try to get her a verve and. Nah. Nope. But she has a but lot. She has a lot of a verve, a lot of strength and. You know, this, you want to see Deborah, I mean. Yep. <laughs> my goodness. All right. Please answer me these questions. This is about what we're doing here today. Why is the family an enemy? Why is the family so frightening? There is a single answer to all these questions. Because it defines us. Because it is our identity. Because everything that defines us is now an enemy for those who would like us to no longer have an identity and to simply be perfect consumer slaves. And so they attack national identity, they attack religious identity, they attack gender identity, they attack family identity. I can't define myself as Italian, Christian, woman, mother, no. I must be citizen X, gender X, parent one, parent two, I must be a number. 
Because when I am only a number, when I no longer have an identity or roots, then I will be the perfect slave at the mercy of financial speculators, the perfect consumer. Cut to applause. That's the reason why. That's why we inspire so much fear. That's why this event inspires so much fear. Because we do not want to be numbers. But we will defend the value of the human being. Every single human being. Because each of us has a unique genetic code that is unrepeatable. And like it or not, that is sacred. We will defend it. We will defend God, country, and family. Those things that disgust people so much, we will do it to defend our freedom. Because we will never be slaves and simple consumers at the mercy of financial speculators. That is our mission. That is why I came here today. Chesterton wrote more than a century ago. Let's see if I can find it. She's shuffling through her papers. Fires will be kindled to testify that two and two make four. Swords will be drawn to prove that leaves are green in summer. That time has arrived. We are ready. Thank you. What a fascist. <clears throat> Don't care for it. <laughs> Could the CIA maybe do something about this lady? Think they're going to try. Yeah, yeah, YouTube did remove this, or Yahoo removed it from YouTube. On what basis? It's like fascist hate speech or something. Yep. It's insane. You heard all the fascist hate speech. That's just insane. These people hate you. Yep. Hate everything about you. And she's right. And she's right and powerfully right. And they don't know what to do except try to silence her. And the minute you try to censor something like that, man, you give it that much more power and potency. Mm -hmm. You prove it. And... Right on time, as I think somebody says, because I think they posted a link to it being, yep, right on schedule. Sammy Fritman. Yep. YouTube removes incoming Italian Prime Minister Maloney's passionate speech on family breakdown. <laughs> a passionate speech on family breakdown. Yeah, that's what it was. That's what it was. Yeah. This is an example of language that obfuscates. How do you say that word? Obfuscates. Obfus- ob- I can never pronounce that word. Does that thing. Makes, it, makes things murkier. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Would I vote for her given that she's a woman? Yes. Yep. In a heartbeat. No question. Yep. Yep. Would I mourn the fact that it's, you know, come to a woman? Yeah, sure. But would I vote for her? Sure. Yep. Based on that speech alone, Nathan? Yep. Yes. <laughs> Based on that speech alone. 100%. 100. Come be our president. Come be our president. Invade. Shoot, now we're going to be uh, <laughs> canceled. <laughs> canceled. For, canceled. Anti American. All right, we've got a Babylon B article that says you skip some things. You skipped Cuba. Yeah, Cuba oh, legalizes yeah. same-sex marriage. They're protecting minorities as they starve their people and force keep them in poverty. And that's uh, what an awful. Anyway, the Babylon B article. Babylon B oh. conservatives disappointed by technicality that says Prime Minister of Italy cannot also be the president of the U.S. Nathan disappointed by overly long comedic premise that should should be cut down in order to be more funny. That's my comedy snob coming out. I'm not a big Babylon B guy. I'm sorry, but yes, we agree with the Babylon B that we're sh- stupid for wanting her to be our president. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Shut up. Yep. Thanks for posting it though. Whoever posted it. Um. Okay. The new chief executive of a major Australian sports franchise lasted exactly one day on the job after a hideous scandal was discovered. He attends an evangelical church and leads its board. Oh. Yep. I remember this story. His name was Andrew Thornburn. On Monday of this week, has taken over as chief executive of the Essendon Football Club. Big deal in Australia. And yeah, it turns out he went to a Melbourne-based church, which had some conservative views of some type, and he was fired. So I guess if anyone has any doubt about where America's heading, you can just look at all other places that are farther than us, Australia, 
New Zealand. <laughs> well, you know, Canada, I mean. Canada. Canada with all this killing is everyone. Is next? Yeah. Yeah, that's next. Um, yep. The Dr. Louis or Louis Roy or Wah, as you would probably say in Canada, the famous goalie named Wah. Wah? Spelled Roy. Representing the Quebec College of Physicians recommending that assisted death be expanded to infants under the age of one with severe deformations and grave and severe syndromes. So. <clears throat> Gross. Doesn't seem like much of a step from, eh, just don't. Just want. kill anybody that just we don't like. Kill anybody we don't like. Yeah. Where was it? I guess it's not in this October 1984 thread where I saw someone got assisted suicide somewhere. I want to say Sweden or one of those kinds of places. She had been in a school shooting or situation or something like that. She had traumatic baggage. Trauma. She was approved for to be euthanized because she just couldn't. She said she couldn't live with it. And she was, in fact, euthanized for that purpose. So fun times in Paradise City. Oh, yeah. Okay, finally, we've reached the end of the things that our patrons provided for us. Yeah. Uh, Harvard Children's Hospital. Babies. No yeah, I remember. So this was a clip. Where this Harvard lady talks about Boston how, Children's Hospital. Sorry, I think. it's a video. It's a advertisement about care or a little clip on caring for transgender kids. And she says babies know. Technically, in the clip, she says babies know from the womb if they're in transgender, which to be fair is a little different than no in the womb. Yeah, but the point remains that yeah, they are okay with killing babies, but also <laughs> babies know what gender they are. <clears throat> Hmm. So, man, <clears throat> I saw another horrifying Twitter article yesterday about Canada and euthanasia talking about minors getting getting euthanized by their doctors without parents permission or knowledge. So like a teenager is like, I'm depressed. I don't want to live. Go to the doctor. The doctor's like, yeah, we got you in the system. Be here on such as such a day. Parents aren't going to be notified. So just to add to the horror of what's happening. It's the logical extension of you can kill your baby. Yes. Without your parents mm -hmm. absolutely it just is horrible if i can kill my baby why can't i kill myself right right of course my body my choice yep well anything else you guys want it's <laughs> <That's> a <laughs> nice depressing note to end on anything mm -hmm. else you guys want to talk about from this month in 1984 well here's what i here's what i want to say here's what what i want to end on every time we do one of these it's really easy to be overwhelmed by the great evil of the world mm -hmm. and to become the the doom and gloom, uh, the prophets of, of doom and, uh, and gloom we were talking about at the top of the show. And the fact is, the world has always been evil. And ever since the Garden of Eden, I was listening to somebody talk recently about how, just sort of reflecting on the horror of Adam's life, of having to go and deal with the mangled body of his firstborn son, mm. and knowing that he did this. Right. Right. I was walking in downtown Newburgh, Indiana, the other day, there were, it was in the mid afternoon, and there were two women, and I think they were drunk. And I think one of them was sort of like passed out faint on the, on the bench, and the other was sort of fanning her. She looked up at me and said, and started railing against Adam, our first father. Wow. In, in language that I can't repeat on this show. But it was basically, you know, <clears throat> like Adam can take a long walk in the sticks. Adam, Adam, look what he did to us. He can take a long walk in the sticks. Screw that guy. Forever screwing it all up. And okay, so the world's been evil for a long time. And we've been dealing with the corruption of sin and the fall for a long time. And 
Our world's not any different, except that God's kingdom continues to grow and to expand. And there are all kinds of little pockets of grace and mercy across the board. And we don't have any good examples of them for today's show. But (laughs) if you take a step back and think about what God has done in your life and what God has done in your family and what God has done in your church, and look at the evils of the world today and look at the goods in the world today through the work of God's kingdom, through the the work of the gospel. You know, it's a better time to live than it was at the time of the apostles. And we have a lot to be thankful and grateful for and a lot to be hopeful about. I mean, listen, we've got a church that meets at the YMCA, wonderful facility. It's got air conditioning. Today, you guys came over. We had to watch a movie for Sanity at the Movies, pulled it up on a random streaming service. Watched it in pristine, watched it in better condition than most people would have seen it when it first was released. My wife went and ran and got us some delicious fried chicken from Hardee's with, (laughs) I mean, seriously, with like packed with more protein per bite than like certain kings of certain regions dreamed of back, back in the day, fried to crispy perfection with no dread of disease associated with it. And we ate our chicken and we drank water from a like a, a tube that we just pull a lever on and water. And it's clean and we don't out. have to mingle it with wine to sterilize it. Or <laughs> And then we came downstairs and recorded into microphones and had a thing that'll go out that people will listen to whenever, wherever they want. They can make us pause. They can make us shut up. They can make us talk t- twice as fast. This world is full of, I mean, I've just, I'm only listing the material blessings here, but man, mm. man, we are... We are blessed. We live in a wonderful time in a lot of ways. And we're free and we criti- we just criticized everything. And, you know, we're probably not going to be canceled today. We've been criticizing things for a long time. I mean, you know, you got to have put these things in perspective. Yeah. <sighs> okay. And speaking of perspective, if you want even more perspective on the great things that we're doing, you go to patreon.com forward slash sound of sanity. You can be part of the discord. Our user, this is a user generated episode. They uh, all are wonderful discord. It's a nice community. I like those people <laughs> and I'm not being, I'm not being Kamala Harris when I say that I really do. It's sometimes you do something and you find that the people that are attracted to it are the worst and you're like, Oh no, I suck because I've done something and the people that like it are the worst. But the sound of sanity discord is not like that. It's good conversations, fun articles, good people. So you can be part of that discussion. You can be part of our discord. You can help form the next episodes of sound of sanity. And there's other cool things that go on there at the Patreon as well. Patreon.com forward slash sound of sanity. Sign up today until next time. Stay sane.